Good. Good morning. I am Tia Maria Smith from PA Ken Connector, and today is our fourth Wisdom Wednesday session. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you are a returning guest, welcome back. We're so happy to have you here with us this morning. So every Wednesday for the month of September, we will be featuring a panel of experts who will share priceless information and enduring wisdom for kinship caregivers. At PA Kin Connector, it is our mission to link kinship family to the resources, information, support, and education they need. We are here Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. So before we get started with our meeting, I'd like to introduce you to the dedicated Kin Connector staff who will be available to you every month of the year. So let's start with Jill. Good morning, my name is Jill Boblick. I bring 24 years of experience in social work to our Kin Connector team. I am very excited to listen to today's expert panelists in an effort to gather the most up-to-date information on how we can empower our kinship caregivers. Welcome and thank you for spending your morning with us. Thank you, Jill. Next, we have Alex. Good morning. My name is Alex Mosdam and I'm your bilingual Kin Connector. Um, one of my favorite parts about being on the Kin Connector team is providing warm, personalized support to families who call our helpline at 866-546-2111. Great. Thank you, Alex. And next, Candy. Hi, I'm Candy Ray. I'm the program coordinator for PA Kin Connector, and I'm also a kinship child. So I just want to honor each and every uh, kinship uh, parent out there. Um, you are a hero in the eyes of the child that you're, you're uh, taking care of. So thank you. Thank you, Candy. So today's session is school and childcare. Now we have a total of six experts. We may have some joining us later who will introduce themselves, share a bit of wisdom, and then answer your most pressing questions. So please type your questions into the chat. If you had questions in advance, go ahead and type them into the chat. And you can also add questions as you hear our panelists or experts speak. And our goal is to get to as many of those questions as we can. So without further ado, let's meet our experts. So uh, right now, Tracy is not here, but if she comes, we will uh, circle back to Tracy. So our next two experts are Shelly Candy and Stacy Shurock. They're going to do a little bit of a tag team. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shelly Candy, and I am employed by Child Care Consultants, and we are the Early Learning Resource Center for Region 9, which encompasses Lebanon, Dolphin, Cumberland, and Perry County and Region 10, which encompasses Lancaster, York, and Adams County. And um, the ELRC is designed as a single point of contact for families, early learning service providers, and communities to gain information and access to the services that support high quality childcare and early learning programs. Through the administration of both the Child Care Works Program and the Keystone Stars Program, the ELRCs create an enhanced create an enhanced resource and referral system for communities and seeking early learning services and support. And um, like I mentioned, we do um, do the Keystone Stars program. We also do the Child Care Works program, which is the subsidy program for paying for child care. And we also do resource and referral, which I'll let, let Stacy um, explain a little bit more, but um, 
I come to the kinship program as a professional, learning more and more about all of you each day as well. Thank you. Great. Hi, everybody. I am Stacey Sherrock, and I work at Child Care Consultants as well. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about our resource and referral program. Um, if you are looking for childcare, anybody in any county can contact their Early Learning Resource Center to find childcare. And there will be a resource and referral specialist that can work with you, find out your needs, if you need before and after school care, if you need second shift care, if you need weekend care, um, we can help you with that. And we can utilize the Compass database and we can tailor a list to what you're looking for. Um, and that's really the resource and referral department. Um, and we can connect you with resources on what to look for for childcare. We can answer any questions that you have about regulations about childcare, anything childcare, childcare consultants or your ELRC can help you with. Okay, anything great. else, Shelly? The only other thing that I wanted to mention is there are multiple ELRCs across the state of Pennsylvania. So each county um, does have their ELRC that they work with. So I know um, I see that Julia is on from ELRC number two. I believe that they're up toward the Erie area. So um, we do have a wide network of people who work across Pennsylvania. Okay, great, thank you. So now I'm just um, sharing your slide for the one thing that care shiver, kinship caregivers should know. So um, why don't you just continue great. that for us? Yep, that one thing would be the Early Learning Resource Center is our one-stop shop for anything related to birth to elementary school years. So we um, will work with you on that. And then what you should do um, for us, you can check out our website which is childcareconsultants.org, or we have a Child Care Consultants Facebook page that you can check out um, for the latest happenings in our region. And you could also, on the Child Care Consultants page, there is a link to um, the PA Key website, which will also link you to your local Early Learning Resource Center. That's terrific. Thank you so much, Shelly and Stacy. That was very informative. Okay, so our next expert is Kimberly Ely. Kimberly? Hi, good morning, everybody. Kimberly Early, I'm sorry, there's a, a typo. It is early, I apologize, I, miss, I missed that. Um, I'm with the Pennsylvania Association for the Education of Young Children. I'm the Director of Public Policy and Advocacy. And our organization um, is the Pennsylvania affiliate of the National Association for the Education of Young Children um, we're part of a network of 52 affiliates and nearly um, 60,000 um, individual members nationwide. But in Pennsylvania, we represent over 2,500 um, early childhood care and education professionals throughout Pennsylvania. Um, and, our, and we also have nine chapters as well throughout Pennsylvania. And so we're a statewide nonprofit membership organization. And our membership includes uh, child care center-based teachers and directors, um, home-based providers, um, higher education faculty and students. Um, and our mission is to be an effective voice for high quality early childhood care and education. Um, and that we do that through policy development, advocacy um, and professional development and supports for early childhood professionals. Um, our vision is that all Pennsylvania families have access to high quality 
affordable early childhood care and education opportunities for their children um, provided by a profession that is valued, um, well compensated and supported. Um, so I guess next slide, please. Yeah, Marie, thank you. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about high quality and Shelly and um, Stacy mentioned it, um, but high quality pre-K definitely has some indisputable, indisputable benefits for young children. Um, high quality pre-K and childcare programs really close the opportunity gap, um, reducing the need for special education, um, remedial instruction. And in addition to that, all the data really shows that access to high quality early learning decreases crime, incarceration, dropout rates, uh, and other those kinds of things during teenage years. So the value and the um, benefits of high quality pre-K are, are um, very clear. And I wanted to share a little bit about how to choose a high quality um, pre-K program. And there's some things that you really should look for. And I did include a link to a document that you can refer to later. Um, but one of those things is you wanna look at the um, relationships at the program. So, you know, making sure that the children and adults feel welcome when visiting a program, that the teacher, um, teachers staff are engaged in warm and friendly conversations with the children that are in the, in the classroom, um, that children are encouraged to play together, those kinds of things. Um, the second is curriculum. You might wanna ask about the curriculum to make sure it addresses child development, which is really important. Um, that teachers and uh, teachers work with individuals as well as in small groups, making sure that they have the materials and the equipment needed to really spark young children's interest. Um, and so that's curriculum. The third is teaching, um, that the teachers are you know, carefully supervising the children when you go to visit, um, that time is provided during the day for indoor and outdoor play activities. Um, fourth is assessment of child progress. Um, so making sure that the program uses a variety of assessment methods um, and that those methods are sort of culturally and linguistically appropriate. Um, making sure that teachers use those methods to, uh, to design goals for each child. Um, and that families, um, so you as kin, that you're receiving information about the child's development on a regular basis. Um, the fifth is health. Um, so really making sure that the teaching staff are trained in pediatric first aid, um, that there's a clear plan of when a child becomes ill, like what's the process and what happens, um, that you know, snacks and meals are nutritious and provided safely. Um, sixth is, is teachers. Um, so making sure that the teaching staff have um, educational qualifications and specialized knowledge um, about young children and early childhood development. And also that the teaching staff have training in curriculum and work as a team. Seven is families, um, making sure that families feel welcome to visit and are encouraged to be involved. Um, and, and that teachers talk to families about what's happening at home and um, you know, adapting that to the curriculum and their teaching methods. Um, eight is community relationships, uh, making sure the program is connected to the things in the community, maybe a local museum, a park, a library, things of that nature. Um, and that folks from the community are invited to share with the children. Um, nine is physical environment, so um, understanding that the facility is designed so that staff can supervise children at all times and that they have that sight and sound. Um, so making sure that everybody, the program has uh, necessary furnishings and equipment and materials that are clean, safe, and in good repair. 
um, that outdoor play areas have fences or natural barriers that really prevent access to streets or other hazards that might be in the community. Um, and then the last is number 10 is leadership and management that the program administrator has um, the necessary education um, qualifications that the program is licensed or regulated by the Department of Human Services and that the um, program's written policies and procedures are, are shared um, with families. So those are some of the things that you should look for in looking for a high quality pre-K program. Um, next slide. And then in terms of finding um, just high quality childcare in general, um, it's really, you're probably wondering, you know, how should I do that? Um, and we heard a little bit from um, Stacy and Shelly about the Early Learning Resource Center, which is absolutely a great resource. Um, but maybe before you do that, you might want to know some of the things that you should look for in terms of high quality and what to take a look at. So you want to look at the caregivers. Um, are they communicating through talk, touch, songs, and stories? Um, are they engaging with children at their level, either, you know, getting on the floor with them? Are they warm and supportive um, in terms of their tone of voice and addressing behavior or redirecting attention? Also looking at the classroom setting and making sure that it um, includes organized, clean, accessible materials. Again, um, you know, that there is a variety of materials available, available for all types of play, uh, that the curriculum is, um, allows for exploration and creativity and inquiry, and that there's family engagement, um, that there's an open door policy that Ken and other family members can drop by at any time and check on what's going on, um, that they're getting regular updates again. And then you also want to look at designations. Um, uh, Shelly and Stacey mentioned Keystone Stars. That's the Pennsylvania's quality improvement rating system, which um, rates childcare programs from star one through four, um, star three and four being considered high quality. So you want to know what a program star level is. Um, and also if they are nationally accredited. Um, the National Association for the Education of Children educate or um, accredits programs, as well as the National Association of Family Child Care. They, um, they accredit family child care programs. So you want to find out if, they, if they're accredited. Um, and also if they have pre-K counts or a Head Start program in the, in this, in the um, or a classroom in their program. So those are some of the things to look for. Um, uh, next slide. And then lastly, just to encourage um, Ken to join the two campaigns that are um, available in Pennsylvania. The Panacea is a part of two campaigns, actually we're part of three, um, Pre-K for P uh, PA and the Start Strong for PA campaign. Um, Pre-K for PA um, encourages increased access for high quality pre-K and then Start Strong PA encourages access um, or helps us get more access to high quality affordable childcare for all families. So feel free to join those campaigns. We do do action alerts where you can become involved and send emails to your to Congress or to your state legislator. Um, and right now we actually have one. Um, if you sign up uh, on the startstrongpa.org, uh, you can sign up and do the action alert. And that's a um, action for Congress to consider le legislation that um, provides significant um, long-term funding for childcare and pre-K. It's really easy. You put in your address and it sends to your to our two state senators, Senator Toomey and Senator Casey, and then to your um, your congressperson, your representative. Um, so they're very easy and um, you can also stay involved. There's other sorts of resources on those websites as well. Great. Thank you so much, Kimberly. That was terrific. OK, so our next expert is Celeste Jack.
Hi everyone, I'm Celeste Jack. Um, I'm a mother of two girls. Um, I was a kinship mama, and um, I also cared for kids in my home that were also kinship or um, in foster care. So that's just a little bit about me. My kinship placement wasn't necessarily in school at the time, but it was really important for me to develop a plan for others. Great. So Celeste, tell us one thing that you feel um, kinship caregivers should know. Um, well, I feel like they should know that they have a lot of options. Um, being a, being a um, family in-home care um, person for so many years, um, it really opened my eyes as a kinship parent that family in-home care was an option for me. Um, you know, even when parents would come to me from, um, our, you know, other agencies and they would say, you know, is this something that you could do? Like, tell me, you know, what you would do. And it was really nice for me because I was able to participate, um, in learning and support planning with the child. Um, you know, even when they were in school, um, I was able to go to those meetings with the, with the families and participate in activities and support their learning and connection to the school community. So that's what, I mean, there's just so many options out there. It's not just, you know, a regular childcare facility. In-home is also a great option. Okay, great. And then what's one thing that kinship caregivers should do? Um, what do you mean? Well, um, you know, based on your experience, is there anything that, that you did in relation to education that you think was, you know, very helpful for the children in your care or just made things easier for you? Any, just any bit of wisdom that you would like to share? Well, for me, it was really just getting them out into the community because, I mean, one of them was in school and my placement at the time was not of school age. So, but it was still important for me to make things as normal as possible. Um, you know, just going to the library and, um, you know, just being out in the community and making things as normal as possible for all the children that were in my care, not just, you know, the kinship placements or foster placements. And, just kind of being there to listen, you know, to them and listen to the parents, because sometimes when they're in a childcare setting, um, there's way too many people to talk to. Um, and I feel like just having me to talk to, we were all on the same page all the time instead of going back and forth. Okay. I, I, Great. Yeah. I mean, being on the same page is really important. And when you have so many people that you have to try and get on the same page, it's a lot harder. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. We appreciate mm -hmm. it. So now mm -hmm. our next expert is Paige Jokey. Hi, good morning, everybody. My name is Paige Jokey. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I am a staff attorney at the Education Law Center in Philadelphia. So my connection to this work is professional, but I so admire everybody who's engaging in this labor of love and is here to learn this morning. Um, and with that, uh, the thing I think people should know, please advance the slide. Thank you. 
is school stability is very important. So students in care are entitled to something called school stability, which means remaining in the same school where a student attended prior to entering care or remaining in the same school they attended in their last placement. And to decide if this is appropriate, students are entitled to something called a best interest determination. Um, you may also hear it called by its abbreviation, a bid or bids, depending on who's speaking. And there is a form on the Pennsylvania Department of Education that sort of walks through considerations that folks should be thinking about when deciding where a young person should go to school. And Education Law Center also has a fillable PDF version of this resource on our website, which is free to use. The important legal concept here is the idea of school of origin. People often talk about this, um, and that's just where the, where the student attended prior. And remaining in the school of origin under our law is presumed, so it will happen unless um, it's not in the student's best interest or a court order says otherwise. So in the vast majority of cases, keeping a student in the same school is very important. Next slide, please. And this is important because even a single move can set a student back four to six months of academic progress because it could be new teachers, new school, different classes. I think oftentimes when people are thinking of school changes, they might think, oh, I'll just start again in a new building, but really it isn't often that simple. And so the important thing to do here is center students' voices. So think of the protective factors that can arise when a student remains in their school of origin. Are there teachers or peers that the student feels really connected to? Are there access to critical school personnel? like school counselors, nurses, specialized teachers, behavioral specialists who are aware of the child's needs, are aware if the child has an IEP or is a multilingual learner. Are there access to special supports um, that the student wouldn't have if they were to change schools? And are there access to extracurriculars and other school-based supports or programmatic offerings that keep students engaged? So students thrive and do so much better in schools where they feel connected and seen and part of the school community. And so that's one of the reasons why school stability is so important. The main takeaway here is please avoid changing a child's school simply for convenience. Sometimes there's an idea that if all the children in one household go to the same school, that's actually in a student's best interest. But what research tells us is it's actually opposite, is staying in a place where folks know who the student is, what supports they might need, and sort of the day-to-day -day challenges that young person might be encountering before they get to the building. So next slide, totally switching gears here. The one thing you should do is if school discipline arises, so if a student is suspended, asked to go home, you get a call, pick up the child, please, all those things are school discipline. And so the most important thing to do is remember that students need an advocate and that they have rights in the school discipline context. Education Law Center has a variety of free resources. You can always call our helpline if you have questions about a specific case. And the important things to remember here is that students of color, particularly black and brown students, are more likely to be disciplined for engaging in often age appropriate behavior as their white counterparts, despite no difference in how often young children engage in the behavior. So what research tells us is that by simply being black and brown children, they're more likely to be pushed out of school, even if they're behaving the same ways as white children. Um, another important thing to remember here is that students who have IEPs or 504 plans are often subject to exclusionary discipline that is in violation of their rights. 
So sometimes students are disciplined by behaviors that are caused by their disabilities. The fancy word you might hear for that um, in the literature is manifestations of their disability. So for example, if I'm a student who struggles with attentiveness and the teacher is calling me and I'm not able to immediately turn my attention to teacher, if I'm being disciplined for that, that's against the law. So if school discipline is happening, learn about students' rights. If you click on the slide here, it will hyperlink you to our website. We have a very fancy back to school guide, which has all of our resources in one place as an 18 fillable resources for things ranging from I need help with enrollment to my student is experiencing bullying and harassment at school to there's an attendance issue. And these are all free fillable PDFs that you can use. The best thing to remember when you're acting is intervene the very first time to address what happened prior to discipline. Oftentimes you'll just get a note that says this is what happened, but it's important to roll back the tape and figure out what happened in those moments before. Where were the adults that were supposed to be helping? Was there a circumstance that triggered a child or a young person to act in a certain way? And make sure that the student isn't being discriminated against because of protected class status, like race or gender or disability or the fact that they're a multilingual learner. Trust your gut if something seems off, definitely ask the school more about that situation. And the last thing I'll leave you with is there is another language thing in our law that can get kind of confusing. Sometimes students are called, told never to come back to school and they're indefinitely suspended or they're given a suspension for more than 10 days in a row. And under Pennsylvania law, an exclusion lasting more than 10 school days is an expulsion. So no, if that's happening, you should call a lawyer of your choice right away because there are things that can be done in an expulsion. So thank you so much for your time. And I'm excited to loop back in for questions later. Thank you, Paige. Very, very insightful. Okay, so our next expert is Scott Curran. Thank you. Um, and good morning to everybody. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Um, as Tia Marie said, my name is Scott Curran. I'm the director for the Office for Safe Schools for Pennsylvania Department of Education. Um, a little history about myself prior to working at the department I spent the last 21 years working in two different school districts, one small urban school district and one really large suburban school district uh, around the Harrisburg area. Uh, all, all of those 21 years have been in pupil services uh, in areas that involve enrollment, truancy, uh, social and emotional sports through guidance department, nursing. Basically pupil services can, any, can be anything um, that supports the student uh, in a safe and healthy learning environment. In my current role uh, as the director for the Office for Safe Schools, uh, our office provides and coordinates and assists schools with the learning environment programs, policies, and those procedures that really impact the student's abilities to learn and thrive in a safe and healthy and supportive learning environment. Uh, our department really looks uh, to deliver a professional level of technical support uh, not only to school districts, but also to the families across the Commonwealth. Um, another role of ours is we act as a conduit to help review laws and government policies to create uh, usable resources uh, to su support schools, educators, and families throughout the Commonwealth. I would encourage everybody uh, to go to our website, uh, to the PDE website. We do have a, an Office for Safe Schools link where you can access a lot of resources um, that can also help with a lot of the things that were discussed earlier from a legal perspective. 
One of the things I wanted to mention as well, uh, T. Marie said about uh, connecting personally, and you know, I'm really thankful to be a part of this uh, panel today as uh, I'm also um, a product of kinship care as well. Uh, growing up with my mother and grandfather, uh, he was a real active role in my, in my, in my life uh, for the last, uh, for the first 17 years. Um, so it's really important to me and actually guided uh, a lot of the work I did in schools. Um, with enrollment. So when you're looking at uh, when I was considering what to share today from what kinship care providers should know and what they should do, um, one, of the th one of the things I really wanted to do is not get too technical. Um, I wanted to be a really common sense approach. And in my 21 years working in enrollment and truancy and attendance and guidance, uh, I had a lot of connections with kinship care providers. And I think one of the things that's really important uh, for kinship care providers to know is that schools really value and appreciate the impact that all, all of you have on children. Uh, know that the relationship between the home and the classroom is the critical piece uh, to the academic, social, and emotional success of students. I also feel it's really important to know that public, public schools, like all other agencies, um, operate under certain laws, guidelines, and policies, and are really those things are in place to protect students. So some of your first experience with schools, uh, which could be something like uh, enrollment into school, um, understand that each situation is certainly unique, and it's really important, I think, to be open and honest with the school at the time of enrollment. Know that the school wants to educate all children um, but they're also obligated to provide that education in a, in a manner that's consistent with the laws of the Commonwealth, as we just heard earlier. Schools don't want to create roadblocks, um, but they do have certain requirements, especially for things like enrollment, truancy, uh, that they're just required to follow. So I think it's really important uh, to know that going in um, when you're looking to uh, start in a new school. Additionally, I want you to know that the Office for Safe Schools and all of Pennsylvania Department of Education can certainly be a resource, as I indicated earlier, uh, to navigating any element um, of a child's educational experience. Um, so it's um, a good lead in also to what I wanted to talk about for what you should do as a kinship care provider. Uh, again, I think one of the things that's really important for all, all kinship care providers, but all uh, care providers is really connect and engage with your local school community. Um, make it a priority to, to meet with the principal, to meet with the teacher, the school counselor, and even the school nurse. Um, I know uh, that even when you enroll a child and you share all that information, don't assume that that information makes it through all the channels. Uh, school systems are certainly efficient. Um, they have good information processes in place, but breakdowns do occur and they're not intentional. Um, but they can be troublesome if it happens at a bad time. Um, and that's why I say I think it's really important to have all those initial discussions uh, about the important role you're playing in the student's life uh, early on uh, so that you're not having that discussion when there's an educational concern, when there's a discipline issue, or when there's a health concern. Reach out and engage those individuals early on. They will appreciate knowing uh, how the best support uh, your child. One additional thing I would say to do is also to learn about the roles 
uh, the rules of the school for those basic things, uh, absenteeism, field trips, paying for lunches, transportation, uh, become familiar with all of those. Each of those elements have a procedure. They have information that you should know ahead of time. And it can be really important for helping you navigate the school system. And then finally, I would just emphasize again, the point about engaging the school com community early. I really do think it's important not only for kinship care providers, but all providers to develop those positive relationships early in the school process. Again, uh, we thank you for having the opportunity to be here today um, and thank all of you for the tremendous responsibility you have with taking care of our, our young, younger adults. Thank you, Scott. That was a ton of really useful information. I'm sure everyone um, has really benefited from that. All right, so our final uh, expert is Cindy Spinner. Cindy? Hi, everybody. Thanks again for having me as um, one of the panelists. I'm really happy to be here. I'm here from Milton Hershey School. Um, I'm an admissions counselor at Milton Hershey School. And what I do, along with seven other of my colleagues, is work with families, especially in kinship care, grandparents, aunts and uncles, um, other relatives that may have unexpectedly taken on the uh, caregiver role of a child or several children. Um, and what we do is kind of give those families information of how Milton Hershey School could possibly be a resource. Um, the way we work with families, we have kids from all over the United States but we do really want to provide those children in Pennsylvania with the best resources available. So depending on what county you're living in, um, one of our admissions counselors is here to help you look at Milton Hershey School as a possible resource. Um, and one of the things that a lot of folks don't know, um, this is a professional connection, of course, with um, Kin Connection. And Milton Hershey is a cost-free school. It is a residential school, so all of our students live here on campus during the school year. Um, we are going to provide everything that a child needs absolutely cost-free. Um, we're very fortunate. We're funded through the Hershey Chocolate Company, so every time you eat that Hershey bar or anything related to the Hershey Chocolate Company, go to Hershey Park, some of those proceeds actually come to the school and that's how we do what we do. So we're very, very fortunate. We have um, a great funding resource through the Hershey Chocolate Company. Um, the other thing I really want everybody to know is Milton Hershey enrolls students as young as four years old and we enroll kids up to their 16th birthday. Now we do have a high school program, we go up to 12th grade, but we kind of stop enrolling kids at 16 because we really want them to take full advantage of all the resources that we have available. Um, and we are here for um, families that are kind of struggling financially, um, and also those families in kinship care that may not be struggling financially. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, we do provide everything that a child needs, clothing, medical care, um, school supplies, that home environment. We don't take custody of a child. Um, we are here to partner with you um, for the schooling and care of your child here at Milton Hershey School. Um, and the other thing I really want everybody to know, too, is beyond high school, 
we are really here to have our students learn how to leave Milton Hershey School and um, provide a successful and fulfilling um, you know, career or life for themselves after they leave Milton Hershey School. So our goal is to uh, provide college, authentic work experiences, um, scholarship programs for two-year colleges, military, so that then when they do leave Milton Hershey School, they're really prepared to take on that responsibility of caring for themselves. So uh, T. Maria, if you wanna to go to the next slide, I can kind of give you some information and we kind of covered this, so we'll go on to the next one. So something that caregivers should know, uh, Milton Hershey School is a resource. It's not for everybody, but we're here to partner, especially with those finding themselves in the role as a caregiver. We have lots of grandparents that are looking at Milton Hershey School, aunts and uncles that may find themselves in that situation. We can be a good resource for those people. And again, just to kind of um, touch on the subject of finances, Milton Hershey School does not charge any type of tuition. We are free of charge. The difference that we play in a kinship care role is we do have an income guideline when we're working with biological parent, but because kinship caregivers sometimes are finding themselves in this role, um, you know, they may have worked, been retired, and they do have a good income, we waive that income requirement. So we work with those families. So even if you feel like you might not financially meet some of our requirements, you may find that Milton Hershey School is a good resource for you because we look at that income a little bit differently. Um, and one of the very things that I hear most from kinship caregivers is they can be that grandparent. They can be that aunt and uncle. Um, we can take some of that responsibility of everyday um, caregiving away and give them back some of their freedom in their life. So we can definitely be that partner uh, for that aunt and uncle grandparent situation. Um, Milton Hershey School is not for every family. This is something that um, families really have to think about. It can be very difficult. It is very hard to think of kind of giving your child into the hands of somebody else to take care of them on a daily basis. Um, and it's also hard to explain that to um, other relatives or people in those child's lives, like why would you give your child away? So it's really important to learn about what Milton Hershey School is and how we can partner. Um, the ways that you can do that is every month we have virtual open houses. You can go to our website, mhskids.org sign up for those virtual open houses, um, and you can sit back and kind of get the full view of what things that we offer. Um, and you can watch that along with your child, other family members, so you can get a really good understanding of what Milton Hershey School is and what we offer um, for your family. Um, and, and, you know, just know that the admissions counselors here at Milton Hershey School we're here to help you decide if this is something that can work for your family. Um, give us a call. We visit, you know, at a restaurant, talk over this information with you um, before you even bring it up to uh, the child in your life to consider that. 
bring the child to campus, make sure that they're comfortable with this idea. Um, and do remember that it is an application process. Um, Milton Hershey School is not a treatment facility. Um, we are really here for kids that are doing pretty good in school. Um, they do have issues at home with kinship care involved. Um, they can have counseling and all that kind of thing. But we do wanna make sure that kids looking at Milton Hershey School are not um, a huge behavior issue on a regular basis because we do have to remember that this is a residential setting. Um, kids are living with other students. So we wanna make sure that this is a safe and nurturing environment for all of our kids. Um, and again, just if you're interested, call us. Um, I'm happy to give you more information and those virtual open houses are really a good way to get your foot in the door and see if this is something that might be worth it for your family to look into. All right, thank you, Cindy. That was very, very informative. And we are now moving into our question and answer session of a portion of the meeting. Um, but again, I think we covered a wide variety of childcare and educational issues. So I hope everyone found that um, enlightening. So I will start off with the questions and we will alternate between um, myself and Candy, who will have questions from the audience. So the first question I have is for Shelly. And Shelly, this question is, how can I, you know, as a kinship caregiver, get assistance for childcare expenses? As you know, there that is a very, very expensive um, uh, thing for, for many of our caregivers, and they need some assistance with that. So how can they get assistance? Right. Well, we do... Um work with families through the Child Care Works program. Um, it's the subsidized child care programs um, that helps to pay for child care fees. And it is a state and federal government funded program. And it's managed by each of the ELRCs. So depending on which county you're in, um, you would want to contact the ELRC for your county. And then um, there are certain guidelines that would need to be met. Um, the ELRC would pay for child care costs. Um, it's called the subsidy payment. Um, and there is usually a copay um, that the family is then responsible for. And um, those go directly to the child care program. Um, you also have to talk to the child care program that you're looking at. Um, some child care programs will just accept the subsidy amount and the copay amount. Um, other child care programs do you require you to pay whatever the difference is between the subsidy amount and the copay amount. If there's any remaining, they then require you to pay that. So it's really important um, as you're considering things to look at um, what that program will actually accept. Um, but I'm going to go over the basic guidelines. Um, you must live in Pennsylvania. You must have a child or children under the age of 13 who needs childcare while you work or attend an educational program. There are income guidelines based on family size and you have to be working at least 20 hours a week or 10 hours a week and going to a training program for the remaining 10 hours. Um, you must have a promise of a job that will start within 30 days of your application being submitted. And then um, the child care needs, the child needs to be a citizen of the United States. And we need to have proof of that. 
Um, and then also just proof of identification of who the caretaker is. So that may be um, a notarized letter or um, information from the child's doctor, things like that. Um, but we would work with each person individually on a case-by-case -case basis. That's what our intake specialists do. They work with um, each person coming in. Um, we do have applications at our office that we can mail out to you. Um, we do also direct you to the Compass website, um, compass.pa.gov. Um, we'll get you um, into that website. Um, and Stacy, if you have anything to add. Um, I think you covered it, Shelly. Um, I'm gonna put the Compass website in the chat um, so you can go there if you would like to apply online. Um, but I don't have anything different. Um, okay. We also do have the helpline that um, Stacy can put into the phone number for the helpline. It is a statewide helpline that um, you can call in to get the information for um, your specific county and who to contact. Great. And then if anyone needs any assistance with Compass filling out that application, because sometimes it can be a little bit tricky, please feel free to call us at Ken Connector um, because we can help you with that as well. All right, Candy, um, let's field a question from the audience. Okay, this one is from Katie. She says, I think it's worth noting that right now I think a lot of child care centers cannot have open door policies because of COVID. Our child care center um, the one my family uses always had an open door policy, but they haven't since they reopened in July 2020. I guess maybe the question is, is what do you do if there's not open door policy right now because of COVID? Well, I can touch base on that. Um, the child care centers should have a way for you to visit them, whether that is virtually or um, some form for you to be able to contact them or to be able to work with them. So it's really important to touch base with each individual program and see what um, their policies are currently. I know with COVID, um, I know many of them are having parents drop off at the front door, um, but um, it is really important to be able to have that contact with the teaching staff, with the director, those kinds of things. Um, family programs are a little different um, in that they, um, you know, do have a smaller population of people that they're dealing with. So um, it just depends on each program. So you'd really need to talk to that individual program. Okay, thank you. All right, the next question I have is for Kimberly. So Kimberly, you were mentioning the sort of checklist for getting care. And one of the things that you, or, or sort of assessing it, and one of the thing was looking at um, the child's progress. What are some of the markers of progress that the caregiver should be looking for in their children? Um, well, there are some, there are, there is like a, a schedule of uh, milestones or, or things that you can look for in making sure that your child is um, kind of on target for reading, reaching those milestones. And that's something that you would communicate with, with your child's, um, the child's teacher um, and, or, you know, if, uh, or the caregiver or whoever is involved, but there are, there are some um milestones that should be happening at, you know, the three to six months and nine to 12 months and things of that nature. Um, and I can, I can share a link in the chat to 
um, kind of a guideline. It's not supposed to be, um, you know, don't put too much pressure on yourself if your child isn't necessarily meeting a certain um, milestone, um, you know, it's very fluctuating, but it's definitely a guideline that, that might be helpful. Okay, great, thank you. Candy, next question from the audience. I think this might have already been addressed, um, but I can expand on it. Is there any financial support available to kinship caregivers for daycare expenses? Well, I think that is what um, Shelly and addressed. Yeah. No, I, any other questions? Yeah. So, although I do have a question um, for Shelly or Stacy, so you know, a lot of the caregivers that we get calling us are grandparents. Many of them may be retired, but they still might want some child care, you know, for the, the younger ones to get kind of exposure to other children. So based on the qualifications that you outlined, it seems that they wouldn't, they wouldn't qualify because they're not working. Is that true? Or are there some exceptions for, you know, grandparents? Um, like I mentioned, it would be a case-by-case -case situation, um, but we do have very thorough guidelines from the federal government that we need to hold to, so we would have to look at the situation individually. Um, there are also some, at least in our regions, there are some agencies that do support um, other assistance and things like that. So we could look at that on a case-by-case -case basis, but um, the guidelines are pretty set in stone um, as far as our program is concerned, but we do also help to look at and reach out to see if there are other options available for the family. And there okay. are also some um, pre-K counts. If you have a preschooler, um, there are pre-K counts programs in every region and every county. Um, that does have some financial assistance. Tied there are to also Head Start and Early Head Start programs that we could direct them to as well. So there are different programs that may fit for that family. Okay, great. Uh, all right, Candy. Okay, shortage of bus drivers has made transportation to schools of origin extremely difficult for families to man manage. Are there other resources to assist families with this particular need? Scott, can do you can you handle that one or yeah, address can, that one? I could probably assist. Uh, I I would agree. Uh, bus drivers and transportation is certainly a hot topic right now with um, the pandemic. Um, however, I would uh, encourage anyone to contact that local school district. Um, you know, transportation is something that uh, could be a requirement in that situation, depending um, where that school of origin is, there's a lot of factors that come into play, but I would encourage that person to contact the director of transportation at that school district to find out um, what other options are available. Um, you know, the school districts um, do have to find uh, that resource for those, if that's, uh, as Paige indicated, the best interest determination. Um, so I would, you know, reach out to the school district and find out what other resources or options are available. 
um, you know, there are certain things that, you know, connecting with advocates and other agencies, uh, the school may have those resources available locally. Okay, thank you. That's very helpful. Um, so the next question I have is for Paige, um, and this is related to um, kinship caregivers wanting to know how they can get school lunches and meals for their grandchildren. What, what do they need to do to get that? Perfect. Is it all right if I add a few practice tips on to the question about transportation as well? Because ELC is hearing dozens of reports of very similar things happening across the Commonwealth. Um, a couple things Absolutely. that um, I would recommend is to make sure you have the number for transportation. If a student isn't picked up, it's really important to look at their attendance record and make sure that their attendance record is expunged for that day. Unfortunately, what we'll see is what we are seeing now is that sometimes the bus isn't coming for a number of days, and it only takes three days of unexcused absences for a student to become truant. So if the bus isn't coming, that absence should be excused. If caregivers have the resources to get their student to school, some districts are offering stipends for that. Others will reimburse for a Lyft or an Uber or the cost of a cab. Um, you could also ask for cab service or van service if the bus isn't working out. So just think through creatively, are there things that the school could be doing to help eliminate the transportation barrier? If a student has special education needs and they are missing school due to the bus, you should ask for the full day of compensatory education because they have a legal right to the services that they get through their IEP. And if they're not able to be at school due to the bus, they should be provided with all of those services. In terms of the school lunch question, I would definitely recommend contacting the school district directly and making sure that it's known that the child is in kinship care to get them automatically enrolled for free breakfast and lunch programming. Something that I think um, is effective is if you know that a child is coming to you to get that process started before, and also to ask if there are any transportation barriers that come up, are there alternative options for breakfast? Because sometimes what we see is the bus comes really late and despite the child being eligible, they're not actually able to eat in the morning. Some schools like the school district of Philadelphia are categorically eligible, which means that every student who attends the school is able to secure free breakfast and lunch programming. So ask. Um, students can't be discriminated against because of their status in kinship care and should in fact be proactively enrolled in those programs. If food security is a challenge um, during school hours or after school, some schools often offer backpack programs or other programs where families can choose resources for the weekend or for after school. So ask about that as well. Um, think creatively about sort of what the nutrition needs are for the child and if the school can meet it. Some schools are also posting information about local food resources. So by asking your school about breakfast and lunch, it can open the door to a larger conversation about making sure that child has the nutrition that they need to thrive at school and at home. Awesome. Thank you so much, Paige. Okay, Candy, next question. Um, I have no more questions on the chat right now from anyone. Oh, okay. Well, I do. I have a couple more. So, all right, this next one is for Scott. So Scott, this question is, what if I don't have access to my grandchild's birth certificate and immunization records and I need them to enroll in school? What do I do? How do I get access to those things? Yeah, great question. Um, I would like to just start off by saying, uh, I'm a really big proponent of, you know, again, having that discussion with, your, with the staff at the school district. 
Um, you know, often we provide guidance or advice. Um, you know, that information sometimes is taken to the school district and, you know, the school district needs to know all the information. So I would really encourage uh, grandparents, especially uh, to have that open line of communication early with the school district. Um, documents such as uh, birth certificates, immunization records, again, depending on the situation, sometimes those documents aren't needed uh, for enrollment, that it, enrollment can, can occur immediately. Um, so really it, it depends on the situation and the nature of enrollment. Um, so please, you know, reach out to that enrollment staff. The other thing I would say is that uh, school districts across the Commonwealth uh, have different enrollment procedures in regards to who is responsible for that in each school district. Some school districts uh, have a whole department for enrollment. So you have individuals who may be a little bit more trained and, and understand those laws and procedures, um, whereas some school districts that may be handled by the front office staff. Um, so it's gonna look very differently depending on the school district wherever you live. Um, I think one of the, the easiest ways to obtain those documents though, um, our school districts are permitted to share that type of information between each other. Um, so often if you just indicate to the school you're enrolling, um, what school the child was in prior, uh, they can connect with that prior school and, and get that uh, information shared to them electronically um, or through fax. Uh, they could also go to that school and pick those documents up. Um, so there's definitely a way to, to obtain those documents. Uh, so they should not be a barrier to enrollment. Oh, terrific. That's very helpful. Um, all right. So um, the next question is for Cindy. So Cindy, you mentioned some things that um, Milton Hershey does specifically for kinship families. So, you know, waiving the income requirements, but are there any other things that Milton Hershey does in order to help kinship caregivers to make the process a little bit easier? Absolutely. Again, um, that's why the admissions counseling team is here. Um, we work very individually with kinship caregivers um, we know that documents are um, hard to come by sometimes. They just don't have access to those things. And like was mentioned before, we can be a resource and, you know, help them find out how they can apply for a social security card, how they can get a new birth certificate. Um, we also have notaries here in our staff. If we need to notarize some different documents to make sure that the admission process here can go smoothly, we can come to that family's home or school, meet with their teachers, guidance counselors. So we're really here um, to help them on an individual basis walk through the steps at Milton Hershey. Um, and the other thing I just want to mention, you know, I've heard a lot of transportation issues, truancy issues. Um, you know, after, scare, after school care and things like that. Um, when we're talking specifically with grandparents, some of our grandparents are, you know, they are huge um, caregivers. They love these children, but physically they may not be able to um, provide the care that that child may need. So if a child is in families looking at Milton Hershey School, you know, they don't have to worry about transportation. We're going to take care of that. Um, after school activities, we have house parents, we have buses, everything's going to be provided for that. Um, you know, after scare tutoring or um, 
Girl Scouts, Cub Scouts, all that kind of thing. There's people here, our staff is here to make sure that those things are provided. So it can kind of just take some of that everyday worry away from those caregivers um, and they can feel confident that their child is taken care of um, with food and everything else they need. Um, and the other thing that I really wanna emphasize is that visiting and being a part of your child's life is absolutely something that we wanna provide. Um, we have a family relations department that's here at Milton Hershey School. So we're here to support your child, but we're also here to support your family. Um, we want to make sure that the family is addressed as a whole. Um, when a child is doing great at Milton Hershey School, it's usually because the family's doing great at home too. So when both of those things come together, um, that's when we find that um, this partnership can really do its best for that child. So please know that we are here to partner with you. Um, make sure that you're coming to school plays and um, teacher conferences, and you're going to see your child on their birthday, on weekends and holidays and over summers. Um, so all of those things are, are what we're going to provide for that, that kinship caregiver. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cindy. And so I'm going to kind of uh, piggyback off of something that you said answering this question to all of the panelists. Um, and also Scott mentioned, you know, the importance of the relationship between home and school. So what are some suggestions that you might have for kinship caregivers to proactively build positive, strong relationships with the school so that they're not only interacting with the school, you know, in times of duress or, you know, when something goes wrong, what do they need to do to build those positive relationships with schools? And, and anybody can take this question. Um, one of the things that we do at Milton Hershey School is um, we have lots of activities for parents to get involved. I know our elementary teachers, for instance, use an app called Seesaw. So you can um, log on to that app and comment on some of the things that your child's doing through the, to, through the school day. Um, you know, find out what your child loves to do and make a phone call after school and say, you know, I saw you were part of the special activity that was happening today. You know, what did you do? How much fun did you have? So make sure that you are engaging with your student when fun things are happening and when good things are happening. That way, when something is um, maybe difficult or, you know, at Milton Hershey School, we deal with homesickness a lot. Then when those conversations are happening, that's not the first time that they're hearing from somebody at home. And that's not the first time they're having an interaction with a supportive staff member at the school. They're having those conversations in good times and bad times. Great. Thank you. Um, Scott, since you mentioned that, so what are what are some ideas that you have for ways that kinship caregivers can, um, you know, promote positive relationships with the schools? I would just echo that as well. Um, you know, during those those good times, uh, make sure you're connecting with the school district. But I think what's really important, as I said, you know, in my opening is to have those conversations early. Uh, so at the time of enrollment, uh, you know, connect with the school counselor, uh, reach out to the school nurse, think about those ancillary services 
that are there to support your child um, that sometimes go well beyond the classroom. Um, most individuals always think about the school teacher. You know, I need to connect with the school teacher. Um, but when the child gets sick, uh, the school nurse is going to reach out to you. And if they don't know your kinship care provider, um, that could be an awkward situation. That could, could create some barriers for you come pick, to come pick up your child. Uh, the same with discipline issues. Uh, you know, some schools have multiple principals. Uh, so don't just rely on meeting, you know, the, the head principal. Connect with the assistant principals as well. Um, I, I think you just want to integrate yourself and engage the school community as much as possible. Um, again, that's not only for kinship care providers. That's something we encourage all parents to do. Um, do that early and often um, really re reduces a lot of stress and eliminates a lot of those barriers that could come up um, when you're, you know, in those times of need. Um, so again, I, I would say do it early. Uh, look for opportunities to schedule those appointments. Um, look for opportunities to come to the school um, and, and meet those individuals. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, does anyone else want to um, address that question or are we ready to move on? All right. Sorry, I, so, there. Yeah, I do have another right. question if we're ready to move on. Yes. Um, it's actually not from the audience. It's actually a question I have um, with the pandemic and a lot of um, issues with that and the alternative schooling that is now taking place with cyber schooling and homeschooling, what are some um, suggestions that parents can do um, to help alleviate the stress of cyber schooling or alternative schooling um, and what resources are available for them? I, I would say one of the, the biggest things is, is contact your local school district. Uh, those resources are going to look a little different across the Commonwealth, so depending on the area uh, that you reside, um, and also depending on the, um, the uh, educational delivery model that's, that's occurring in your school district, which could be a hybrid, could be fully remote or in person. So you really want to connect with your local school, um, find out what resources are available, um, just in case you, you don't have internet access. Um, how, you know, what's the school's plan through their health and safety plan to continue that education um, and ensure that there's equity, equity across, um, you know, for all students. Um, so you want to connect with that local school provider to find out what their options are and what those resources are um, to ensure that the, the child doesn't have that interruption um, in education. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, all right, so I think we are uh, finished with the Q&A section. So I just want to see if anyone has any closing thoughts that they would like to share. Again, I think this information has been very, very helpful. Lots of um, uh, insights and wisdom that I'm sure all of um, our listeners will be able to use. But um, so let's start with um, Shelly and Stacy. Do you have any, just a closing thought or two to share with the audience? Um, I would just say reach out, um, whether you're dealing with a school district or an early learning facility or anyone um, that you're dealing with for your kiddos, um, it's really important to reach out. Um, as a mom who has some special need needs kiddos, um, 
you know, the more communication you have, the more successful it will be. So I really challenge um, all those involved to reach out for the best interest. You are their advocate. So make the most of that. Great, great. Thank you. Um, Kimberly? Yeah, um, I kind of echo what um, Shelly just said, just to, you know, absolutely reach out. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of resources out there to help families. And I think um, just as an advocacy organization, we're certainly advocating for more funding so that um, more families and kin are able to um, afford childcare, you know, if, if that's, if childcare is the issue, but um, and, and if you need any supports in terms of, you know, infant toddler care, preschool, um, you know, pre-K, just to know that there are resources out there. And also just to thank Kin Connector for doing this session. And um, we're definitely um, thankful that you reached out to us to participate and we're happy to do it again in the future. That's well, great. Thank you everybody. so much. Great, thank you. Um, Celeste, what closing thoughts do you have to share? Hi. <laughs> um, actually, I don't really have um, any closing thoughts, but I did want to kind of go back to um, the question, if, if that's okay, about the additional yeah. schooling with like cyber and homeschool. So when I was a kinship parent, and um, in addition to having a family in home care, I actually did homeschool um, my oldest child. And it was really important for me to know um, where to get those resources from. But I, I felt like I was kind of alone and, I'm, and probably other people do too when you're homeschooling because cyber really wasn't an option at that time. But um, I really appreciated um, Scott um, a lot on the call and just making, making sure that everyone knew that there were a lot of resources out there. Um, but as far as closing, um, I just feel like more, the more you're involved in, um, you know, your community and your children's um, schooling, um, I also feel like the better relationship you're going to have with them as they grow. So yeah, that's it. great. Thank you so much, Celeste. Okay, sure. Paige, your closing thoughts? Yes, uh, thank you so much for having us. I know I learned a lot about childcare. I get a lot of questions and it's not my area of expertise. So thank you all for sharing your knowledge around that. My closing thought is to, um, would be to think creatively. Just because the law doesn't provide it doesn't mean you can't ask for it. And I have seen a lot of parents do very creative things to make sure that their students felt safe and loved at school, be that a walkthrough be it a student buddy who's going to meet you on the first day, be it a check-in and check-out with a dedicated staff who the child really likes. So somebody knows I'm at school, they're happy I'm here, and they're going to ask me about my day. And so trying to proactively put into place those supports, I think, does avoid some of the communication friction that Scott described and also helps families create positive relationships with schools. And obviously, that's the goal. And so never be afraid to ask. And if the school doesn't know, um, you can always call Education Law Center or check out PDE's website. They have a lot of great resources as well on what you can do, what you can't do, and where to go if you need help. So um, I'm excited for this school year kicking off. I know this is an unusual school year. And if you need us, our hotline's in the chat. Awesome. Thank you, Paige. That was terrific. Okay, Scott, your closing thoughts? 
I, I would just, you know, echo uh, Paige, all great suggestions, uh, really good suggestions about how to create strong relationships. Um, and I think that's really the key, as I indicated in my opening, um, it's really important to build those relationships between the home and the school. Um, that's really going to lead to the success in the classroom um, for your student. And Celeste brought up a great point, and I think I, I just wanted to touch upon that um, as well in regards to homeschooling. And it ties really into what I wanna say at the end here. Um, even if you decide to homeschool your student, um, that also requires a connection with your local school district. So again, please share that information um, with the local school district because um, again, we don't want you to get down the road and all of a sudden say, well, I was homeschooling for the last five months. Well, if the school didn't know about that, um, that's where those communication barriers come into place and can create problems. Um, so, you know, early and often reach out to the school district, um, be open, be honest. Um, they're there to support you. Uh, they're there not to create barriers. So, um, uh, you know, all the success uh, to kinship care providers. And again, I would say, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to PDE or the Office for Safe Schools for any uh, resources or support at any time. Great, thank you, Scott. And finally, Cindy, what are your closing thoughts? Um, again, thank you for having me. Lots of lots of um, great information here. And I think the biggest takeaway is make sure that you know what resources are available and don't be afraid to ask. Um, not every resource is gonna fit every family. Um, I know Milton Hershey School is an, an amazing resource but it doesn't work for every family. So there's other things out there to look into. Um, and remember that if you do think that Milton Hershey School could be a good fit for your family, we're exactly that, we're an extended family. Not every family um, is mom and dad and child. In today's world, we have families um, that don't necessarily even have to be blood related. Um, family is who you love and who is supportive in your life. And those are the really the things that mean the most to your child. So reach out, you're not alone. Um, there's many, many people in the same situation. And sometimes it's comforting to know that um, your kids are not the only kids that may not be living in that traditional family. And, and again, just reach out to those resources so you too can give the best care that you can to your child. Great, thank you, Cindy. All right, well, um, first, before we conclude the meeting, I do wanna thank all of our experts for so graciously sharing their knowledge and wisdom and insights with us. I know I certainly feel a lot more educated and smarter about all of the um, resources that are available to kinship families. And of course, I wanna thank the kinship families who are attending today. Um, it's, it's really our sincere hope that this meeting has helped ease some of the worries that you might've had and that make you feel better equipped to care for the children in your care. So now for those of you who weren't able to write everything down, I know I wasn't, no worries. Um, we're gonna have a video of this session posted on our website, kenconnector.org 
uh, in about 24 hours. And then we are also going to compile all of the information shared through all of the Wednesdays. We'll put that into a document and we're gonna e that, email that document to all of the attendees as well as the panelists for your reference. Um, and we will post that document on our website as well. So again, thank you so much. And as I mentioned, today was our fourth session and next week will be our fifth and final session. That session will be about kinship care programs across the state or a few of them. So we'd love to have you attend that session as well. Um, like I said, it, it, it's the conclusion or the finale of the series, which um, so far has been so terrific. So thank you so much for attending and I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.